Blue Wire. To the end zone he goes. Where Sammy is. Boyd with a great fake. Touchdown, Taj. Hopkins throws to Boyd. Mean, mean touchdown throwing machine tonight. And he's got another one, Boyd. It's about 1 a.m. Eastern. We just finished up the very first Taj Boyd podcast episode with a special friend of mine, Bruce Feldman. Now, this guy has done unbelievable things in the sports world. You know, was one of the first employees of ESPN, uh, covers CBS, The Athletic, uh, written numerous books. I mean, just a class guy who knows what he's talking about. I'm looking forward to you guys tuning in listen to, to our conversation and our dialogue and kind of where it took us. You know, it was some sport, some life, and a little bit of everything else in between. So lock in. It's about 45 minutes. Hope you guys enjoy. Let me know what you think. All right, so New York Times bestselling author, national sports columnist, broadcaster, and most importantly, husband and father. My first guest ever, Big Game Bruce. Welcome to the podcast. I am flattered to be on with you. <laughs> this is this is big for me, and I, I'm glad yeah. both of us. Neither one of us is tech savvy, even though you're younger. So you should be tech savvy. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any excuses, man. Not at all. Not for this poor display of craftsmanship over here. So, uh, what's been going on, man? How's everything been? Things are good. Season's picking up steam. Uh, I was just out at USC today. We we had USC last weekend against uh, Utah they pulled off a big win with their third string quarterback and now we got them this weekend again they're going to go up to Seattle to try to try to beat the Huskies which would be another top 15 win for them if they can pull it off yeah you know I was a little surprised an outcome of that Utah game to be completely honest Um, you know I had not necessarily real monetary value towards the Utes but emotionally I had something invested in them and I just thought they were going to pull out the W but you know, SC's tradition is strong. And, you know, obviously with those guys being – you said they're going to Seattle? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what. And the difference with them, because Utah's big and physical, but the one thing USC has is they got some stud receivers. They got guys who look probably a lot like the guys that are at your alma mater right now, at least on the receiver side. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, man. Clemson has been churning them out. I mean, USC has a rich history too, man. So I'm, you know, I can remember growing up as a kid and and looking at all of those guys, man. You know, Matt Leinart, his group of, of receivers out there, you know, that whole core. And when you look at, especially we're talking about college football landscape, you know, I, I hate to jump into Clemson right away, but, you know, I can't remember a program that has sustained a run as long as Clemson kind of is within the middle of their run right now. And, I mean, I can only imagine, like, they continue to to be on pace of what they're doing for the next eight, nine years and maybe the longest run in college football history. Would I be accurate somewhat in saying that? Yeah, I mean, look, nobody had really done it to the level that Saban's done it, and then here comes Clemson. And you were on the front end of the curve. I, I remember this talking to you in South Florida. It was they had just played Oklahoma and you were talking about just the steps they had taken. And I think I quoted you at some point after that about how they went from, hey, we had to get to here to get to there to get to there. 
and they everything they everything that you'd said they did you know they built off it and and i think one thing that's been impressive is Dabo has been able to keep almost everybody there and obviously your guy chad morris moved on to become a head coach but i mean brent Venables, venables has been terrific you know the other coordinators they have on the offensive side of the ball with tony elliott certainly and jeff scott have done a great job and it all fits together and i think that place has been seen as the cool school because kids feel like the vibe is really good there in some ways it's a different kind of vibe than you get from uh being in saban land where it seems like it seems like it's more of a grind that's not saying they work harder over here than they do over there, but it's just a different vibe. And I think kids are buying into it, obviously. And they're buying into it all over the place at, in Alabama too. But I just think, you know, back a few years ago, and I think I talked to to Woody, you know, Coach McCorvey, who's Dabo's right-hand guy, for a long time, they were kind of getting some of the rec- their top nucleus guys were basically all guys they could drive to. And now they're going, striking out into – south florida and california and and i think the brand has only grown there so it's going to be interesting to see how much further it can go but right now man, they're on a dominant run in the acc and no one's close to them yeah it's um it's definitely accelerated man you know over that stretch and you know i always talk about Saban because i do appreciate who he is as a coach what he's done uh, for that program and I don't necessarily think that there's a right and wrong with how they, what their philosophy is in a way, you know, as long as they're genuine and authentic with what it, what it is. But, you know, Coach Sweeney built this, this whole organization off of, off of, of love and accountability and community and family. And, you know, Saban has legitimately built this powerhouse where in essence, to me, it looks like it's almost a stepping stone for coaches to come in. Um, you know, it's nothing wrong with that because to me, that just shows me how great of a coach he is when he can have a revolving door come in year in, year out from a coaching staff standpoint and still sustain the success that he has. But, you know, it's tough for a recruit to want to come to a place when they don't necessarily know if that guy that was sitting in their living room is going to be there, you know, over the next two or three years. Yeah. One thing that, and I did a big story on this coming out of the national title game about all the staff turnover he's had. And he really had this off season and it fits into a couple of categories. Like one, there's the guys who like Mike Loxley did this year, like a Kirby smart did a few years ago where they, their head coach become head coaches. And so they move on. Then there's another group of guys who kind of get pushed out and it's never said, Oh, so-and-so was fired, but they end up getting cycled out of there. And then there's the third group who, who I think just feel like I can only take this for so long because it's, it's a grind and it's, it's a different vibe around there and I'm going to go someplace else. And, and I think guys like uh, Dan Enos, who he wanted to be his offensive coordinator fit in that last category. But the one thing that's common, if you talk to people around the program, whether they're former coaches or, or players is that the strength coach, Scott Cochran has been there pretty much the whole save and run and the head trainer, Jeff Allen, has been there the whole time. And those are, as you know, those positions are critical because those maybe the other assistants don't deal with them as much, but the players do. And if that's that's a constant, it's almost like a little bit of good cop, bad cop, I guess, is the way the dynamic sometimes works there. And 
And those guys are, are core guys. And if you have that, I think it can counterbalance some of that other stuff. Yeah, I would say that's that's really accurate as well. Because uh, when it all comes down to it, you do essentially spend you know most of your time with the guys that you're around in the locker room. And, you know, most importantly, they'll strength coaches because you're going to, you know, get up with them in the winter soon as the season ends. You're going to be with them in the summer when the coaches go on their retreats and obviously everything in between that. So, you know, that's an important dynamic, man. And obviously those guys, you know, when you look at that team and how physical they've been, a lot of that obviously stems from, you know, what they're doing in the weight room and the type of players that are recruiting because, you know, it's a certain type of look that they have. You know, for each position group, you know, over the years. And I think Clemson is starting to build that identity as far as what they want from each position going forward as well. So, you know, I, I do see both of these teams continuing to sustain, you know, the su- success that they've had. And when you look at, you know, an LSU, for instance, and where they're at right now, you know, over the years, it has legitimately just been this ground and pound game, you know, straight drop back, play action. They're starting to switch it up a little bit with Joe Burrow. So it'd be interesting to see what type of quarterbacks they're able to pull with what they've been able to do this season. So uh, it's exciting for me for college football altogether to see that happening, to see the growth, the expansion. And, you know, I want to tap into Mike Leach here in a little bit, but, you know, the, the college football, man, is, is, is as prevalent and as prominent as it's ever been. And I don't think that it's slowing down, not with the polarization of everything that's no, happening right I, now. I think you see more and more guys who are throwing it around. And I think that expression, there's like, you know, more than one way to skin a cat. And so I think that's kind of spreading. And and look, we're seeing guys, the the, the secret behind the Joe Burrow breakout year at, at LSU is Joe Brady. And nobody outside, I guess, at Ojeron really knew much about him. But he was a guy who was an all, you know, basically a entry level guy on the Saints staff for the last two years, and before that he was a GA at Penn State. And LSU saw him and and said, "Hey, this guy's going to bring some RPO and some different concepts than we've had in Baton Rouge," and it's completely changed LSU football in a month. I mean, it's pretty amazing to see you know how they kept on stepping on the gas when they were at Texas and lit up uh, UT the way they did. So. You know, I think we see more examples of teams being willing to shake it up when they probably wouldn't have before and cling to their identity or say, hey, that's not what we're about. And and you've seen it work at other places. And so I think that's going to only make make schools and coaches, at least smart coaches, I think, more open to try things if it's not working exactly how they want it to work. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, speaking on that quarterback position, you know, and, and where it's headed right now as well. He actually wrote a book on the making of a modern day quarterback. And um, Bruce, I think that I'm a pretty avid reader and that's something that I'm going to go order from Amazon, you know, tonight. But, uh, you know, tell me what that was about and all the listeners as well. Um, so they can get kind of a uh, some background info on what you were trying to yeah, do. Yeah, this was writing around that. the time I think you and I first connected. And if I'm not mistaken, you were you were at, at – uh, University of Oregon, the, yeah. the opening was, and the Elite 11 were going to be in Portland, which is a couple hours away. And I think you were with Devin Gardner, who was a, at the time was a Michigan quarterback. Mm-hmm. And guys were going to be counselors. And I was down there around George Whitfield, who was one of Trent Dilfer's coaches. And really what that book kind of became was about this booming business that has just t- taken up about all these private quarterback coaches. Right. And 
you know, you can be skeptical and say, okay, maybe there's more style than substance sometimes with these things. But I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of kids who come into college are more ready now than they probably were five, 10, 20 years ago. And I think some of that is because because some of the training they get, not just from private quarterback coaches, but but you know through seven on seven and some of these other things that they're now exposed to. So I really wanted to get into how that works and how the, the kind of the cottage industry of quarterback coaching is. And so it was it's kind of a fascinating little interconnected world to be in the middle of. And that was really the, the kind of the nature of where that book came about. Yeah, and you know the private quarterback space is such a, a unique market. Because the tough part is you don't know if if it's if it's genuine substance that these kids are are learning or if it's just all smoke and mirrors, you know. Because some guys, I mean, look, you know, when you're as naturally as talented as some of these quarterbacks are, you know, on any given day, you know, it's tough to see if you've actually been, uh, you know, helping these guys improve more than it looks like for 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 social media and everything else of that nature, but. You know, when you see a guy who who has potential, but he hasn't really tapped into it, and the guy goes away for a summer and comes back, you know that these guys are really trending upwards, and that guy is really helping them from a coaching standpoint. But you know, one of the things I think you know you experience as well is that collegiate quarterback coach, that high school quarterback coach, whose thought process and philosophy differs from that private quarterback coach. So the meshing there and the connectivity. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like over over the course of the next few years as well, because I think we'll see more of a, a head on collision and the butting of heads going forward as well. Yeah. And I kind of got into a little of that in the book as I remembered, and this was really with Whitfield especially, but I remember a, a guy who is an offensive coordinator at a, at a, at a big uh, power five school saying, listen, I don't mind if you go to spring break and spend, you know, four or five days in Southern California working on drills with him. I don't think that's a bad thing. He goes, but what I never want to hear is what George says. I don't want to hear, you know, somebody coming back and it's almost like clouding your mind into things. And at one point, Jimbo Fisher, when he was at Florida State, I don't think he wanted his quarterbacks to go to work with anybody else because maybe he thought they were getting a mixed message. You know, and at one point, I think Jameis Winston might have been dabbling with Whitfield a little bit. And I'm not sure how, you know, that would have, played with with uh with Jimbo and obviously he won a Heisman and and ended up being a whatever top pick or second first or second pick in the draft so at least on that level it, it worked out but there's a lot of guys who who I I think it's it's I don't want to say it's a mixed message but they they look at it and say okay well what exactly is going on here you know what is it something that somebody's using to to leverage their business and say, Hey, I worked with this guy. Cause a lot of quarterbacks have worked with multiple guys. I can think of one quarterback who's still playing in college football, who must've been attached to like three or four different quote unquote gurus. And, you know, did it, did it make him a better quarterback? Did, did he have too much stuff in his head? Who knows? I mean, only that kid could probably say, but um, you know, this business has really taken off. And I think one thing that's that, you know, I think maybe gets lost is sometimes the kid, the quarterback product isn't Taj Boyd. He's not, he's not, uh, you know, Marcus Mariota. He's not some super talented kid who's going to be able to be in an NFL camp or be a draft pick. 
he might just be a kid who is like an average athlete who, if he works with the right people, maybe he can become a pretty good high school quarterback when it, at the end of the day, he might not have started. And I'm not saying he was ever going to play college football after that, but he could have a better high school career because of some of the things they're learning. And I think the challenge is when a lot of times you hear about the quote unquote quarterback dad, who's more invested in it maybe than the kid is. And so it's, you know, like as I'm, I'm sure you've been around a lot of athletes who maybe they, the kid was really good at the sport, but maybe they didn't love it as much as some other people. Cause I think if you don't ultimately, you know, it's not going to work out that great. No, no. I mean, it, you got to have a natural passion for the game man, or you do phase out because, you know, some of these guys, you know, they, it's life or death for them for that particular situation in their life or that season of their life. And, you know, it, if you're not going to take the ball serious, man, somebody else wants that opportunity. And at the same time, if you're not serious, you could also get hurt out there in that football field, man. So obviously it's very important for these guys to make sure they understand what they want and, you know, also not get burnt out to a degree because that can, that can very well happen as well. You know, there's this stigma with Texas high school football where, you know, for these high school players, they, you know, max out, you know, by senior year because everything that they've done from six years old up, you know, has been on a year-round basis. So they limit their room for growth and opportunity. You know, they maximize the potential. More or less, they get burnt out as well going forward. So, and I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but it definitely makes sense, which is why I, I do believe in, you know, specializing in that position to a degree, but at the same time still being able to tap into these other sports of the world to continue to own skills that, you know, you may learn elsewhere as opposed to just you doing that specific deal there. So, you know, I, you know, I'm, I get a lot of uh, questions on a day-to-day basis about, you know, should these parents' kids, you know, be playing football or should they be, you know, doing this or doing that. And at the end of the day, you got to ask that kid what he wants uh, because he has to be the one that takes that step, that has to put the work in when the parent isn't there, when the coach isn't there, and continue to pursue that, whether it's, you know, to create an opportunity for, you know, that kid on a longevity basis or if he just really just wants to see how far he can really take it, man, and and really try to, you know, catapult this into to something where he does want to be, you know, an all-pro quarterback or an all-American quarterback going forward. So, you know, it's it's tricky, man. I think it's a little bit, you know, easier to to kind of sideline coach and sideline look at it and say, hey, you know, why isn't this kid, you know, what we thought it would be? You know, he was, was four-star this, he was five-star that. He never amounted to what, you know, the expectations were. And some of that, you know, ultimately comes because, you know, the kid does phase out. He does burn out. And so it's making sure that these kids are locked in and in tune to what they truly want to be going, going on, you know. And that, and that's the, I think the, the challenging part, because ultimately, you know, you have to have the passion for it or else eventually you will burn out. And hopefully we've seen plenty of examples of kids who may have even gotten scholarships to big schools, but it didn't work out. And then you wonder, okay, it's just, it just, you know, you, you've been around it. It just, if, if it's not ultimately there, the game is too hard and it's too competitive 
for you not to be totally invested. And, and there's also so much other stuff you have to do to succeed at that level on and off the field that I think it just ends up coming back to bite, bite everyone in the end. If it, if, if it's not there. Well, you know, there's a lot of, you know, financial resources that go into this as well from the parent standpoint, you know, these, you know, scholarships don't just happen. You know, I, you know, the way I took it in the route that we took with my dad was, man, we started watching these Jeff tricky quarterback films when I was in like fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, while I'm in the middle of playing all these other positions, I'm playing running back, I'm playing linebacker safety. But, you know, meanwhile, January, February rolls around. I'm right there in the, in the middle of Virginia. It's freezing outside. And my dad puts together this homemade target and we're working on it. You know, we just keep going piece by piece, you know, day by day, year by year. And, you know, essentially how I got my first scholarship offer was Boston College was coming to town uh, to look at a kid at a 707. I knew they were coming to town. I wanted to go out there and compete right next to that guy, perform really well. They ended up giving me a scholarship as opposed to the other guy. So it was really, you know, right place, right time. But, you know, there was some research that went into that as well. So, you know, it's it's strategic now. So I understand why these, these parents want to tap in and get with these private quarterback coaches. Uh, but at the same time, like your kid has to have the goods as well. Like it's it's going to be a payoff if there's, you know, something there. And so many times, like, you you get these parents who have these pipe dreams for their kids who just, you know, don't have the either the substance or they don't want it, they don't want it as bad as they do. And that's a tough part, man, because it's, you know, it's a, it's a full cycle here, man. Um, and you see the same thing when you get to college. You know, the same kids who didn't take it necessarily that serious in high school, they won't take it serious in college. I mean, even if you have enough talent to get to the pros, you still got to be able to tap in, lock in, and take it that much more serious going forward, too. So, you know, at every level, you would think that it shifts and it changes just because the stakes get bigger, but they don't really, man, because whoever that person is, you know, that character is ultimately revealed as it goes uh, longer and longer during that duration of playing sports. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, I just think it's it's all part of the process, and sometimes we see, okay, this guy has a, has a strong arm or this guy's really fast or whatever physical talent they have, but there's so much more, as you know, that goes into it. And if you don't have the passion for it, and you don't have the head for it, uh, you know, eventually these things weed itself out sooner than later. Well, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, out of all of these titles, I mean, you wrote, you know, Meat Market, you wrote, you know, the, the story on Mike Leach, you did the University of Miami profile. I mean, out of all of these, what was your favorite to work on? Probably the book Meat Market. It was a recruiting book where I spent, a, a year plus on the inside of the Ole Miss program when Ed Ogeron, who's obviously now the LSU head coach, was the head coach at Ole Miss when he was on the other end of the food chain where when you're at Ole Miss, at least back then, you're one of the least resources schools in the SEC and you don't have the facilities everybody else had. And it was a roller coaster ride every day there. And so it was, a, it was just a fun project to work on. I learned so much on it. I mean, the Mike Leach book that I worked with him on I learned a lot on, but it was, it was much different pace. Whereas with the, with the meat market book, it just was, you know, I learned so much, not just about recruiting, but just about how a college football program runs. And so it was a, uh, it was never a dull moment. And I was just glad I worked on that book when I did, just cause I don't think you could get the access I had anymore with the way things are these days. But back then I was fortunate. I always felt like 
it was a little like being undercover for a little while because I was always <laughs> afraid either the compliance guy or the athletic director was going to shut down my access. Right. But that never happened. And, you know, I still hear from people who say they read that book. So it was that's my favorite one of the really the four big projects I've had. Well, you know, you got to have some. Yeah, you got to have some wits about you, some savvy to kind of figure out how you want to articulate it without putting anything in a negative light, man, because you obviously want to maintain these relationships. But, you know, was it, you know, did you have any thought process going into that, that it could strain some things going forward? Or was it just more of an informational piece that you wanted? Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't know what they were going to think when it came out because, you know, you're, you're showing us, uh, an image of people like kind of warts and all like this is you're a fly on the wall and for a whole year. So the one thing, there were a couple of things I was mindful of when I went into that. The first thing was, and I have like a pretty specific example. And I don't know if I remember the kid's name right now, cause we're almost 15 years past, but there was a quarterback from somewhere in, it wasn't the state of Mississippi, but in that area. And when Hugh Freeze, who was on Ogeron's staff, mm-hmm. had come back from that high school, they started to watch his kid's film. And as they started to watch the film, Freeze said, now I want to just tell you, the head coach said this kid's not an SEC player. But oh, they watched the film, and then Ogeron looked at it and watched it. And, I, you know, the quarterback coach looked and watched it, and he was like, yeah, we don't we don't need to bring this kid here. And But the the kind of takeaway was, freeze saying okay this guy shot us straight he wasn't trying to sell us something that he really knew wasn't wouldn't fit with us here and what i didn't want to do was put that kid's name in the book because by some chance if that kid actually did read the book or his family read the book they'd be like wait a minute our high school coach you know was selling was selling us out well i mean he was shooting the high the college coaches straight and i don't know if he was you know, you can look at it, I guess, two different ways. But what I didn't want to do was was make that head coach look bad in high school, make the make the kid feel bad just because there was no need to do that. It wasn't going to make the story any richer for somebody to go, so and so, you know, was really screwed over by his high school coach. And so I was mindful of stuff like that. I was mindful of certain situations where a lot of the assistant coaches, they didn't necessarily agree. I didn't ask their blessing to do the book. I asked the head coach's blessing, you know, to, for the access. Yeah. And so for some of those guys, whether they were getting yelled at or whatever it was, you know, I tried to be very sensitive to them. I mean, I wasn't going to make stuff up, but I was also tried to be at least respectful of them because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, everybody's human in there. Sometimes it's not always in the most favorable light. And I wanted to be, <laughs> you know, respectful of it. And the other part of that too was the book came out right around the start of the 2000 and I guess 2007 football season. And I don't think most of those guys had time to read the book right when it came out. Now, I think the football ops guy probably read it right away. And he told the head coach, you know, if there was something, you know, really bad or not so bad or okay or however, but I didn't know how they were going to react because sometimes you don't, you think you write something that's really true and accurate and sometimes people don't like it. Um, and in this regard, I'm sure there was a couple of coaches who didn't like everything about the book. But for the most part, I th- think they thought it was fair. And I think they thought it was real. Well, you know, and the tough part about it's, it's a good, bad thing, right? You know, if it's in print, it's there forever. 
And well, if it's in print, it's there forever. So, you know, I guess the words that you choose, you know, you, you wouldn't hope to strain anybody, but at the end of the day, you know, it's your truth from your perspective as well. So that's gotta be cool to, to see how well that book it did and, and the reviews that you got going with it. And, you know, whether you wanted it to be or not, in a way, that's a legacy piece. You know, for and you got twin five-year-olds right now, and that's something that they're going to be able to see on the shelf when they get older. That's really cool, man. It really is. No, I appreciate that. It, it's been, you know, like I said, it's the thing I'm most proud of work-wise. And I don't know if I could pull it off if I, you know, at this stage of my, you know, life in terms of the energy I have, like you said, you know, having young kids. But at that time, you know, it just, it felt like it was the ideal situation to do it. And it's just, uh, you know, it's like I said, it's something I'm proud of because I feel like it stands up even today as recruiting has changed so much. I mean, it wasn't that much, much before you were going through the recruiting process. And you know how much that's changed in the last 10 years or so. Yeah. Oh man, it's, it's streamlined. I mean, I remember when Oregon was sending, you know, clear envelopes to the house. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, you know? <laughs> Now, these kids are getting personalized videos sent on the back of, uh, on the back of, I don't know, postcards. You know, it just takes it to another level. I mean, everything's ramping up, and um, you know, uh, one of the things that I think Jay Billis talks about is is that it's an arms race, and that's essentially what it is, man. Year in and year out, everything's improving, everything's getting better, and a lot of that is because the monetization of the sports in itself. Um, so I, you know, again, I don't know where football is or where it's going, but you know, it's it's been exciting to see the growth of everything, you know, from, from the years on out. So, you know, you – and I want to really jump into this um, because this is, you know, not just, you know, your life, but this is this is everybody mm-hmm. to a degree. But, you know, obviously you started writing for ESPN in what, 1995? Yeah, technically 1994, I guess. 94? <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago now. I mean, I was actually like the first official hire on what became ESPN.com. <laughs> uh, well, I was four years old, man. So, it, uh, yeah, you've been in the game. You've been in the game for a while here. Yeah. I, and, know. I don't you know, like how that sounds, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there was some um, essentially heavyweight battle between you and ESPN and decided to part ways. But as you made that transition, was it? Was it tough? Was it like when Kevin Durant left OKC? You know, what was that deal going from ESPN to CBS? Um, it was it was awkward. Let's put it that way. Part of it was the way it played out. It was the analogy I use is it was like looking down on your own funeral because people are tweeting about you and and it was mostly you know not what I remember ninety eight percent positive reaction. So I'm thankful for that, and I've always been thankful for the reaction that either colleagues or peers or you know like man i remember (laughs) the first place i went to after all that blew up i went to the university of miami for a practice and i don't know if you remember jacory harris of course man yeah so jacory harris and i were were, got always got along pretty good and he saw me and i was supposed to do a sit down with him and he spent, I don't know, 10 minutes asking me about what's going on with me. And I was like, this is different because it's just like, you know, you're you're the reporter and all of a sudden you're the story and it's different. Right? <laughs> so that was challenging. But, you know, I always thought looking back that even though I never thought I'd leave ESPN and never had any interest in leaving it, 
you know, till all that stuff blew up. That was one of the better things that ever happened to my career in retrospect, looking way back at it. Yeah. But I, I well, if since you were the subject matter, did that for you shift the way you thought about the way you did, you know, your reporting and everything else? Yeah, a little bit because you remember there are people are going through some stuff and, and it's not like I didn't know that before, but it's just something you have a different perspective on when you're in the middle of things, it can be uncomfortable and it's like, it's just different, you know? Um, I mean, this kind of was going on a little before this, but I remember thinking, so if I'm going to do a story and let's say it's, it's Taj Boyd at, at seven, at 18 years old and one of the things people who, especially magazine writers look for is what's called backstory. You know, if you had a very, I don't say easy childhood, but just like everything was just came easy. There was no struggle somewhere along the way or whatnot. It may, some people may see it as if you're writing about it as kind of boring because what, what writers don't want is you can't do a story and just he's good. There has to be some kind of something to it. So it's the kid, and I'm sure you you know you have a hundred teammates on a given team. I'm sure there's some kid you knew who either you know at one point might have been his family might have been homeless or grew up like both parents were not around. Whatever it was, like the more depth to it to see what this kid had to overcome is probably more compelling to write about. And so. I started thinking, you know, man, these, you talk to these people and they pour their hearts out to you at some point and you're thinking, okay, you get a little of adrenaline rush cause it's that. And then you start also thinking as I got older, I was like, man, this is kind of sad because part of you is thinking you're writing about these people and it's not to say you don't have empathy for them, but it's almost like the more hardship they have, the, the, the better off your story is. And you got to keep, and track that there's people there, you know, and, and I think I did, but I just think that, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it just gives you a different, a, a really different perspective on it. Yeah. Oh man. I'll tell you what, it's, I mean, your career has been, it's been illustrious, I guess. To, that means I'm old. To say the least. That's what that means, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, like what's, um, you know, outside of, Outside of meat market, I mean, what's been your greatest accomplishment so far? You know, I like that I've been able to do a bunch of stuff because I think what I never wanted to be is the guy who's in the press box who's like looking at his watch going, I can't wait. You know, I hope this game doesn't go into overtime or whatever. You know, like I, I still love the games. I love college football every bit, if not more now than I did 20 years ago because I feel like I – know a lot more not just about it but i know about more about the people who play it coach it whatnot and i think because i've done a bunch of different stuff you know i wrote a couple of books i covered the sport as a as like kind of a breaking news person i wrote magazine stories and now i'm doing you know i've been in studio and done a lot of tv for espn and cbs and now fox but now i'm doing it seen it from a different side, doing games as a sideline reporter. And so I think maybe that's the, the thing is just being able to say, I'm not saying I'm checking off boxes. Like I want to say just, all right, I tried that and did it, but just, I feel like it's still, it's never been boring to me. It's always been a challenge now, sometimes because of my, 
you know, my nature, it may not seem like I'm so, so fired up about it because I'm just kind of thinking and trying to take as much in as I can, but the, the, the love for it and to see it at different angles and everything, then that, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. It's awesome, man. I'll tell you what, I got a, just a couple more questions for you. You know, it's late for me on this side over here. I know here. it like, is. I know it's 1230. <laughs> I usually get about 445 to get the workout in, but you got you got a chance to spend a lot of time with Mike Leach, right? Mm-hmm. Too much. How how true are the stories about him and Key West with the pirate? Is that a real thing? Yeah, all that stuff is true. I mean, he is real. He is authentic. Um, he's pretty nutty about a lot of stuff, but it's not an act. None of it's right. an act. I mean, <laughs> he is a hundred percent that way. If if I put you on the phone with him, he would connect with you on something, and it would be something that would be probably really different than what you know. When you got recruited, you probably heard from you know twenty five different coaches, and you probably got to know ten of them really well, or whatever. And those 10 guys probably had similar connections to you about stuff. Mike would find, you know, whether it's your next door neighbor or your third grade teacher, he would find something that he would be fascinated about them about. And in that regard, he's very unique. He's weird as can be, but he's very unique. I'll tell you what, man, I'm sure you got a, you got a chance to be around some interesting characters, you know, just throughout the course of your career as well. Uh, you got a life philosophy that you live by. Yeah, try not to take every yourself too seriously because I think when things go, you know, you know that ex- expression control what you can control. Yeah, obviously, you know that. Um, but there's a lot of stuff you can't control. So if I go to the airport and I'm, you know, I have a tight connection and all of a sudden the flight's going to be delayed, you know, I can get frustrated and nervous about it, but I have no control over it. And the more frustrated I get, it does me no good. So after a while, I'm, you have to laugh at it and just kind of find a way to, you know, because at the end of the day, there's people who are, you know, you probably know people who you follow who tweet about bad airline situations or whatever. And at the end of the day, I mean, people have bigger problems than that. So I just try to keep that in perspective as much as I can. I'm not saying I'm 100% accurate with it, but I just try to manage that as best because it does you no good to to worry about you know that expression sweating the small stuff because at the end of the day all that stuff is small oh for sure you know i got this um this is a little latin phrase uh i'm more fati and uh it's love what is and it's pretty much everything you know every success every failure everything that happened in your life that led you to be we're at this exact point that we're at right now me having this conversation with you and you know, I try to think about that in everything that I go through on a day to day basis, man. Like I, I try to be present, man. I try to enjoy it, and I try not to wish these moments away, because, you know, we don't get it back. You know, um, that's the one thing that that makes us special, is that we don't have, you know, eternal life, you know, uh, physically. You know, it's one of these deals where, you know, we have so many hours in a day, and we try to max them out, and we try to enjoy it, and we try to be around the people that we love. And, you know, we just try to try to be the best we possibly can be, uh, not only for us, but for the people that we're surrounded by so that they can be the best selves as well. So it's, um, you know, an approach that, you know, it took me some, some getting used to. Um, and a lot of that is just through the experiences that I had, you know, with football all together and that whole journey from an identity standpoint. 
Um, that's something that we can get into on another day. But yeah, man, I I definitely feel you on that. It's hard because you you sit there and and you're thinking about everybody's almost like we think about it like a destination where it's like, okay, I can't wait to do this in two weeks. Or I can't wait to, you know, six months from now I get to do this or, you know, it's in the middle of April and all of a sudden we can't wait for the start of football season or something like that. And you're just trying to fast forward sometimes to that thing you're building up to. And in the end you fast forward too much and, you know, life's going to pass you by. And, you know, like, we sit there and we all have iPhones or some version of an iPhone and you can take pictures of all these things. And especially as I see this as a young parent and it's, you know, I remember not that long ago, you're walking a double stroller around the neighborhood and you'd see these people who, you know, they're older than me, but they're not that much older than me. And the, the, the guy will be walking dog, you know, a dog and he'll be like, I remember it like it was yesterday when I was you and now my kids are out of the house. And it's like, you hear it, you think about it. And it's like, you know, that's the, the reality of life. And it's, it's pretty daunting because you're trying to savor as much as you can savor. And it's almost like, you know, that it's moving fast. And as you get older, you know how, you know, like I remember, shoot, I remember when I was, I hate to say it like this, but I remember when I was like, when I was your age, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, it just, it goes fast. It really does. And it's just like, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you have that philosophy because it's something it's easier said than done to just keep it and, and, and experience that and slow life down. If yeah. you do that. And, uh, you know, and I think that's why these conversations are important because, you know, the only way, you know, that, that we continue to build and transform within life is really through the shared experiences that we have collectively, um, really pouring that back and letting people hear that and see that, you know, and speaking on that, you know, when it's all said and done, and out of all the things that you've accomplished and the children that you're raising right now and the wife that you have, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? Ooh, I don't, I don't know. Just, um, you know, I think it would be through them as much as anything, because that's, that's about all you can have, you know, because at the end of the end of the day, you know, everything that you do. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but all that work stuff doesn't, doesn't really matter that much. You know, I mean, this, whatever books are going to be there, whatever, whatever stories will be somewhere digitally on some cloud or whatever, or some, you know, TV clips will be wherever they are, but all that stuff doesn't, doesn't really matter. I guess it's about the, the, the relationships you had and the depths of those relationships and the way you can impact people as much as you can that way. I mean, that's about it. I think that's the only stuff that really has the closest thing to having real staying power. It's not like I look back up at a lot of my old stories or anything like that, but you just kind of, it's those relationships and those human things that really count, I guess. Now that sounds about right. You know, it's, um, <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts about, you know, Friday night lights movie is the part where Mike Winchell and I think Don Billingsley, or have a dinner after a game, you know, kid or, or the, the the former player, the Permian Panther, the fan walks up with his kid and his wife and looks at Don and Mike and says, fellas, after this, all it is is babies and memories, you know? And, uh, <laughs> it was, it was kind of cheesy, man, but I think it has some truth to it as well. Like I, 
I got trophies right now in stores that I'm, I might not ever look at again. Like it was a, something that I accomplished, you know, something that I enjoyed, but really it was just part of that journey in itself. And, you know, it's, if you look at it too long and you reflect on it too long, man, you'll miss where you're at right now in your life. And I think it's just important to continue to take those steps every day, man, and just enjoy where we're at, man, and enjoy the people and enjoy the air when we walk outside and really just, just be mindful of it. So. Yeah. And I don't think enough people probably do that. You know, it's just, I don't know. I think sometimes people get so, so wrapped up and I'm guilty of this too, wrapped up into what's on your phone, you know, it's like addictive and it's hard to shut off and, and all that stuff. I'm not saying you, it's useless, but it really doesn't matter as much as you <laughs> think it matters. Well, I'll tell you what, Bruce, man, I appreciate you uh, taking this time, man. It's pretty awesome. Of you, you know, you know, you're always my guy, man. You know, so I, I appreciate you. Uh, you ask, and I'm sorry. I'm hopefully this echo I have on this microphone is not going <laughs> to show up on the final version of this. Well, I'm looking at the uh, the waves, and I'm just hoping that this thing has been recording the whole time. So we'll yeah, see how no, it plays no, out. We had a nice, <laughs> had a nice chat. Exactly. Well, look, big game, Bruce. I appreciate you, man. Look forward to keeping up with you, man, and just keep doing great things every day. Bro. Yeah, I appreciate you too, man. It's uh, I always smile when I see you. And now that your alma mater wins every year, I get to see you every year. So, so that's good. <laughs> well, look, I'm thankful for you. I'm gonna go ahead, hit the sack, man, and get ready for some of this CrossFit in the morning and uh, see how it plays out.